So I want to extend a really, a really warm welcome to each of you. I think I had a chance to speak with uh, everyone already this morning, and so uh, uh, I'm so happy, so happy to be here, and so happy to meet many of you, and uh, those of you who I've met before, to see you again. Uh, it's really, really delightful. I've been planning this retreat for a long time, so there's a uh, there's a certain quality of amazement that I feel in actually being here and in this beautiful, beautiful place uh, with each of you. I feel very fortunate and very grateful to have the time to practice together and to share uh, the little bit that I know and understand about this path. Uh, so you have my uh, wholehearted commitment that I will do my best to support you in this meditation practice um, and to share uh, whatever I know and understand as uh, clearly and completely as possible. I also want to invite you to, um, to welcome yourself. Uh, it's a wonderful and uh, in many ways kind of a rare thing to feel welcome. You know what it's like when you, when you see an old friend or someone and they say, hey, good to see you, right? And it's just, you get that, oh, you know, I, I belong. Someone, someone wants me here, right? So uh, can we offer that to ourselves? To say like, hey, you made it. Some of you traveled a great distance. There's someone here from Maine, there's someone from Ohio. So to, to see, you know, can you, can you touch into that quality of welcoming yourself? You know, and there'll be the voices in the back that say, oh, you should be at home with the kids, or oh, you have too much work to do. That's fine. Those voices can be there. But can there also be this sense of like, hey, I've made this time for myself, and welcome, and to welcome all of who you are, all of who we are. When we each have uh, complicated relationships with our personality, our family, perhaps our history, not just even in this life, our ancestors, we're all a mix, we're all a mixed bag. So, so to, as much as possible, to, to open the arms of the heart and just say, hey, we can all be here together, everyone that's in here and everyone that's in here in this room. And so as you do that, I want to just invite you to, um, wherever you're sitting, if you like, just take a look around. And see the beautiful faces that will be sharing this journey together for the next five days. So from this point forward, no more smiling, no more eye contact. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
sort of. Sort of. <laughs> Smiling is, is wholeheartedly encouraged. Um, but we will be turning our attention inwards more and uh, turning the volume down on the interpersonal engagement so that our energy can really uh, gather together. You ever seen, uh, uh, hopefully just a film, not in real life, although when I was a kid I know we, we played with mercury, we weren't supposed to, didn't know that, but you ever seen like a, a mercury, beads of mercury, and how they kind of like, they link up and join together, yeah? So that's like our energy. Our, our, the pace of life today is so insane. And all of us, we have so many demands, most of us at least, on our time and our energy, that our attention gets fragmented. And our energy gets fragmented, pulled in a million different direct directions. And so a big part of retreat, meditation practice, is gathering that energy together. And part of what supports that, I'll be talking about a number of things that support that, but part of what supports it is keeping our focus of attention close, keeping it inward with our body, with our just our immediate surroundings, rather than the way our attention is usually pulled out through the senses to what's over there and what's that person doing and where'd they get those shoes? And oh, that's a nice scarf, and, right? So the mind will do that because that's its habit. But our job is to keep reining it in, to keep bringing it back. I want to go over a few more just logistics, just a few details of how we can share this space together uh, that didn't get mentioned in the dining hall. Uh, so the first is, just as Mary said, that this main house and also the cottages, that you know, to consider this our home for these next five days, to consider this meditation hall your home. And so you know what it's like to be home, right? You can relax, you take your shoes off, you don't have to be anything for anyone, right? So that, try to have that sense of being at home here in this hall. And that means make yourself comfortable. So um, there's, uh, there's some more cushions and pillows up there in that little uh, area. Um, feel free to experiment and get, get more cushions for your chair if it feels a little bit cramped or crowded where you are, you can set your chair up there. That's fine, you know. Um, maybe even one sitting you want to sit on the couch over there or on the floor in that room. That's, that's totally fine, you know, as long as you can hear. Um, we've, we've, we've brought in a number of chairs from around the center. Uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about um, uh, meditation posture for those of you who are maybe newer to sitting a retreat and haven't sat many days. Um, I'll talk about that this afternoon. Uh, but uh, you, if you're sitting on a chair, you want to make sure that it's the right chair for your body. So um, uh, if you decide that the chair you're sitting on is not comfortable for you, um, put it in the hallway so that someone else knows it's free, and go find another chair. There's some, there's some nice uh, plastic chairs out on the patio, there's a dining room chairs, there might be a chair in your room. Any chair that you find that's not already claimed in this hall, you can bring in here. Okay, and the same goes for the pillows. If, you, if there's a pillow out there that you like, just 
make yourself at home. Um, some of you may have noticed uh, that one of our community members has a service dog, Emma. Um, so she'll be doing the retreat with us. She is a service dog, so that means uh, just let her do her job. Uh, to not uh, interact with her, pet her, not even to make eye contact with her. Because she's a dog, so she likes to engage. You know, mm -hmm. So if you engage her even with eye contact, that will pull her out in your direction. And we want to let her just do her job in supporting Diane to be here. Um, schedule clocks and bells. Some of you have asked, how do I know where to be when and what if I don't have a clock? So um, a number of you have very uh, gratefully volunteered to either be a bell ringer or a practice leader here in the hall. Some of you may be doing both. So the idea for the structure of a retreat like this is that we can just let go. That instead of always being on the clock and am I going to catch the train on time and so forth, you don't need to worry about those stuff, those things. And it's just when you hear a bell, basically anytime you hear a bell, it's, it's going to mean either come to this room or go eat. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's, that's pretty simple. The main thing is, is just making sure that you wake up <laughs> in the morning. So hopefully you have an alarm clock uh, that, you, that you can use. Um, the folks that are staying in the cottages outside of the main building, you have a little bit more responsibility to wake yourself up. Uh, one person is going to be ringing the, the, the gong uh, at 10 to 6 in the morning for everyone in this building. So if you're a light sleeper, you'll hear it. If you're a heavy sleeper, uh, you won't. <laughs> and hopefully you have an alarm clock with you. So for bell ringers uh, out on the patio in front of this house, there's a long hanging metal bell. And so the idea is before each sitting period, someone is ringing that bell 10 minutes beforehand. So if you hear that bell, it means pretty much come gather together in the meditation hall for the next meditation period. And if you're the bell ringer, um, you're gonna need, a, you're gonna need a, a watch or a clock. Um, if you don't have one, Mary is putting a clock out below the bulletin board, so that might, that might help you. Ring it real loud. Ring it like five or ten times, nice and loud, so that if people are walking uh, out on the grounds, they'll hear it and come back. If you are a practice leader, so um, I will be doing some uh, small group meetings and also some individual meetings with you during the next few days to discuss your meditation practice and offer any support that I can. Um, which means that I won't be here in the hall sometimes because I'll be meeting with folks. So uh, each day there are three or four people uh, to, uh, tr to lead the meditation, which just means tracking the time and ringing the bell at the end of the meditation period. Uh, so it's up to you. You can bring your cushion and sit up here and ring the bell, or you can take the bell back to your seat wherever you are. It's up to you. I'll also be offering every day in the afternoon, starting tomorrow, I'll be offering an optional Qigong session, which is a, a awareness-based movement practice. It just helps to relax the body and get the energy flowing. If you've never done it, I would encourage you to come and try. And uh, I think we'll try to do it in here. It's a little bit cold outside. 
um, and we can spread out up there and uh, uh, we'll see how it goes uh, depending on how many people come to use this room. Other logistics. Um, bathrooms. There's a bath. There are bathrooms on the first floor at either end of the building, and there's one upstairs if you need to use a bathroom. Does anyone uh, not know, other than Robin? Does anyone not know when you're getting trained for your yogi job? Okay. So just connect with Gallery after <coughs> after uh, this session before you have lunch, so that she can give you that information. Uh, if you forget your yogi job, they're posted on the bulletin board outside. Good. It's a time that we were given for the bell ringing. Yes. Is that the actual time to ring the bell? Or is it yes. 10 minutes before that? That's the time to actually ring the yeah. bell. So if you look at the schedule, the bell ringing, the bell ringing sign up is posted, and the daily schedule is posted. Mm -hmm. And each session that has a bell has a little asterisk next to it. And that means ring the bell 10 minutes before. So if the sitting is at 3 o'clock, you would ring it at 2.50. Great. Any other logistical questions? Warren, yeah. you want to say something about notes or not yet? Um, yeah, yeah. I'll, uh, I can say that now, yeah. Okay. So as, as hopefully, as all of you know, this is a silent meditation retreat. If you don't, this is a silent meditation <laughs> retreat. <laughs> Which means that... Um, other than uh, the specific question and answer periods we have in this hall, or the individual meetings or small group meetings we have down at the yoga uh, building, um, we will be in silence together. And that's to support the meditation practice, to support this gathering and collecting of energy. Um, if you need something, uh, we use a system of notes to communicate. Uh, so if it's something related to uh, the physical part of being here, I don't have, I ran out of toothpaste, uh, there's no pillowcase in my room, um, uh, I can't do my yogi job because my back it went into spasm, anything like that, leave a note for gallery. Uh, if it's anything related to the meditation practice, your spiritual, emotional, or mental well-being, leave a note for me. Okay? Please sign your notes. If you don't write your name on your note, we can't help you. Even if it's a general note like, uh, could you turn the heat up in the meditation room? Sign it. Okay? So please sign your notes. There are pens and little uh, pieces of paper by the bulletin board. Write a note, stick it up on the board, and we'll get back to you. Uh, if you need to talk to the cook um, uh, for your yogi job, obviously it's fine to just ask a question or something. Okay. Uh, I'll say more about silence in a little bit, but in terms of notes also, um, the communication is just with Gallery and I, so please don't leave notes for one another. Even if you know someone here on the retreat, um, just it's a gift that we give to one another to really have the space to be quiet and not interact for these days. So it takes, I think it takes a lot of courage to come to a retreat like this, even if you've sat many retreats before. You know, it's, we never know what we're gonna get. We never know what's gonna come up. And uh, it can be challenging, it can be challenging to set everything aside, 
to put aside the distractions, um, our usual forms of entertainment or comfort. It takes a lot of courage. And it also, there's a certain quality of renunciation, of letting go and, and simplifying. Uh, so even just in coming here, uh, each of us has already uh, tapped into those qualities of, of courage and renunciation, which will be a support and a strength for us and an important part of the practice and the retreat. A retreat like this is a time not only to gather our energy, uh, but also to restore, to really replenish our emotional, mental, spiritual, and energetic reserves. It's also a time to, uh, to look more deeply to slow down and look more deeply inside and to, to strengthen the fundamental basis of our life. So to examine how we live. Most of our life is focused on what we do and less on how we do it. So meditation practice is about learning how, how we live. How do we live in a way that's balanced, that's whole, that's, that has integrity with our deepest values and wishes for ourselves, for one another, and for the planet. So meditation practice is about slowing down, gathering our attention, looking deeply, and beginning to transform and strengthen the, the underlying basis of where we, where we live from how we live. Meditation retreat is not without its challenges. Uh, alongside the gifts, the, the culture of a silent meditation retreat can be a little bit strange, particularly if you haven't done one before. Um, and even if you've been doing it for years, it's often uncomfortable and odd at the beginning to make that shift from being so plugged in to conversation and the news and engaging and texting to this very radical simplification of life. It's like we go through a period of detox, you know, from all of the sensory stimulation that uh, is part of our lives today. It can be a little bit of a, a kind of a culture shock, the, 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 the level of, sim of simplicity that's here. One, uh, one teacher of mine, Michelle McDonald, uh, tells the story that the first time she went on a meditation retreat, she came and she looked at the schedule and she saw, you know, sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk, sit, walk. And then in the evening it said Dharma talk. And she said, oh great, we can talk in the evening. <laughs> so it was the only thing that got her through the first day. And then when she got to the Dharma talk and realized that it was someone else giving a lecture. <laughs> so, you know, uh, the silence can, can be challenging. But it's also their great benefits to it. 
as we, as we simplify and, and take away a lot of the distractions and activities that populate our lives, um, very quickly the mind realizes that there's nothing to do. There's nothing happening here. And so usually uh, there, there are two responses that tend to come up. The first is, there's nothing happening here. I know, I'll make something happen. And so we start thinking or planning, right? Or making a problem out of something. Oh, I'm not doing it right. I better, I better ask Orrin that question. Dan, Dan said that, and well, Joseph said that, but Orrin's saying this, how does it all fit And the mind just starts making things to do because there's nothing to do. So this is called restlessness. Restlessness and doubt, the mind just kind of churning and spinning and creating things to fill that vacuum of activity and stimulation. Planning a conversation, figuring out a relationship, strategizing about a problem, all of this, okay? So you'll notice these things coming up, and when you do, see if you can catch it and go, oh, no, wait, I don't need to do that now. Can I just come back to the simplicity of what's happening right now? What's happening right now is thinking. Okay, put that down, come back to your anchor. Come back to feeling the breath, feeling the body. The other thing that we do is nothing happening, it's quiet, my eyes are closed, must be time to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And we go in the other direction, right? We sink. So often the first couple of days of a retreat, you'll see your energy just swinging between restlessness and planning and lots of activity and then feeling totally drained and crashing. And this is really normal. It's, it's part of the detox and adjusting to the different environment that you're in with so much less stimulation. And those ups and downs, they don't go away, but they even out. It's not as much of a wild swing from the hyperactivity and restlessness to the totally zonked out, okay? <clears throat> None of that needs to be a problem. It's really just part of the practice. What, what can be more of a problem are the stories that we tell ourselves, or rather believing the stories that we tell ourselves about how it's going. I'm not doing it right. I'm a failure. I can't do this. <coughs> or five more days of this. Right? We take one moment or one period of meditation and then we project out into the future and think it's going to be like this for the rest of it. I can't. So be very careful about the stories that your mind generates, the beliefs and the ideas that we create about what's happening. This is one of the great gifts of mindfulness is that it helps us start to see the difference between the truth of our experience, what's actually happening, and the stories we tell. And we start to learn how we create difficulty and entanglement and complexity for ourselves and for the people around us by getting caught up in these stories. Another thing that uh, is very common 
that can trip us up is the tendency to continually evaluate. How am I doing? How am I doing? Am I doing it right? Am I getting somewhere? Am I getting more peaceful? Am I getting more loving? Is that insight? We, we, we start judging and evaluating the experience, comparing ourselves to others, or uh, transferring the kind of um, performance-based culture that we live in, taking those standards of our self-worth being defined by how well we do or how much we can perform and applying it to the meditation practice. Meditation practice doesn't work that way. It's not about performing or achieving. It's going in the opposite direction. It's about letting go and just learning to see what's already here. When I first started meditating, um, I remember going to my meditation teacher and asking him how I was doing and if I was on the path and you know, asking him day after day about how I'm doing and uh, where am I on the path and am I on the path. And at a certain point he said, he chided me and he said, you take one step and then you stop and look and ask, did I take a step? Did I step? Did I walk? Am I walking? He said, just walk, just practice. And, and we can do this to ourselves. It's like we're continually evaluating with every step that we take, how am I doing? So as much as possible, see if you can just run the experiment. Just do the practice. You don't have to make the practice work. All we have to do is show up and do the practice. The rest is out of our hands and will come. And so, you know, it's, it's important to have a sense of the results of our practice and if it's working or if it's helping. But the time to do that isn't now. In fact, the results and the benefits of this path often don't show up on the cushion or on the walking path. They show up in our lives when we least expect it. We find ourselves a little bit more relaxed in a situation that previously we might have been very amped up or tense in. We find ourselves not snapping at someone who did something or said something that normally would have gotten us going. Or we find ourselves coming from a place of kindness and generosity in a way that's very natural and genuine and unforced. And slowly we, f we find that our life is shifting. That's usually where the benefits show up. We can also come to a retreat with expectations about what we want to accomplish or figure out. Or, you know, I want to have an insight into this. Or I want to resolve this relationship. Or I need to heal this wound or something like this come looking for a big experience or some resolution in certain areas of our life. Uh, or maybe just uh, looking for some peace and quiet and uh, a break. And uh, you might be disappointed to find that instead you end up with knee pain and back pain and restlessness and sleepiness and distraction and frustration. 
One of the great secrets about this path and this practice is that it's not about having a particular experience. It's not about getting something or feeling a certain way. It's about how we're relating to our experience. It's about learning a different relationship with experience. So it's not, it's not therapy, it's not analysis, we're not trying to figure something out. We're studying our own heart and mind to learn more about how it works and to start to shift how we relate to what's happening. It's a different energy. It's a different orientation than the way we normally operate in life, which is about getting things done and arriving somewhere and creating things and accomplishing things and all that's well and fine. But the meditation practice, the word that's used for it in the early text is bhavana, which means cultivation. So it's like tilling the soil, planting seeds, right? And if you've ever grown a garden or worked on a farm, you know that that takes a lot of patience, a lot of time. And you just have to, you just, you till the ground, you plant the seeds, and then you let it rest. You make sure it has enough water and enough light, but the seeds grow in their own time. And so that's very much this practice, is our job is to just keep showing up and supporting the conditions to understand things. And those conditions are being present, being patient rather than demanding, and being kind to oneself and one's experience. So from the perspective of this meditation practice, all experiences are equally worthy of our attention. So sitting in your meditation posture and feeling the sensations of breathing in and breathing out is as important as brushing your teeth or putting on your shoes or serving yourself a cup of tea. Because it's not about any one particular experience. It's about understanding how we relate to what's happening. It's about understanding the forces that drive our life and seeing those more clearly. And those are happening all the time. So insight can arise at any moment. We can have an awakening at any moment. So we pay attention all of the time, not just when we're in the meditation hall or out on our walking path. Everything becomes a part of the meditation practice, bringing a curious and kind attention to what's happening. The last, uh, the last thing I want to mention in terms of, you know, some of like what you can expect is it can be challenging also to be alone with ourselves. You know, so we're all here alone together, supporting each other in this space of solitude, and um, even being silent for four or five days. It's a big deal. I remember my first retreat. It was a weekend retreat. It was like Friday to Sunday. 
I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if I could go three days without reading or writing, let alone talking. And I spent most of those three days thinking, nonstop, writing letters to people, planning conversations. It was just, just a nonstop stream of chatter. Walking, meditation, just analyzing. Why am I doing this? What's the point of this? How do I know when I'm going to stop? Am I going to stop here or there? What if I don't stop there? What if I stop just... <laughs> just, just it didn't stop for three days. But I did it. I didn't talk. I didn't read. I didn't write. Just, just being with one's own mind can be a challenge. But the opportunity, the, uh, the invitation, is that by, uh, by setting aside all of the stimulation, all of the interaction, uh, that we have a chance to step outside of our story. Uh, the story of who we are. The story of who other people need us to be or who we think we need to be. That we can put all of that down. We can stop telling ourselves who we are or who we need to be. We can stop narrating our life or performing a role or being defined by a certain function as mom or dad or son or daughter or boss or employee. And we can, we can strip those things away or let them fall away and instead discover something more deep about who we are and what it is to be human. That's not dependent on our relationships or our roles or our age or our gender or the color of our skin or our religion or any of that stuff. That all of that can be included and honored and held and in certain ways celebrated and that it doesn't need to define who we are, that there's something deeper. So to do this work requires support. It requires very supportive conditions. And so this is why we come together to a place like this where there's no TV, there's no mini-mart, there's no refrigerator that we can go to to snack when we feel a little bit anxious or uncomfortable and that we're not alone, you know? If any one of us were here by ourselves with that retreat schedule, mm -hmm. I'd be pretty hard. So we support each other in doing this. And part of that it means that we're forming a community. We're forming a little community for these next four or five days. We need to feel, to do this work, we need to feel supported and we also need to feel safe enough so part of my job and Gallery's job and Mary and Linda's job is to create that space for all of you so that you know that someone's going to be cooking and putting out food. You know that someone's looking after, you know, <coughs> the heat and the grounds and the water. You know that someone is here looking after your well-being. If you get into a tight space, there's someone who's been there before who can guide you through it. 
I think more and more today, uh, the value of having a sanctuary, of having a refuge, a place where we can come that feels protected and safe, uh, is is needed. You know, as things heat up on the planet, literally and figuratively, uh, as some of our social institutions um, come apart at the seams in this country. Uh, the sort of intense, divisive political sphere, uh, it's taxing and it's stressful and it's, uh, it's dangerous. There are very real threats and issues that we are facing as a society and as a planet. And in, in order to meet those challenges, you know, we need a, a deep well of inner strength and resource. And that doesn't come from nowhere. We need places and times to recharge. We need sanctuaries and refuges to come and, uh, and do some of the healing and the mourning work that we need to do to be available for those, uh, the people in our lives who depend on us and, and uh, for, for one another. So in coming together here, you're each held by those of us who are running this retreat. We're all held by the, the beautiful uh, forest that surrounds us. We're on 187 acres of forest. We're held by the, the magnificent beauty of these buildings. In a certain way, I think that we can be held by the season. You know, winter is a time of stillness. It's a time when, it's a wonderful time for retreat because what's happening in the environment around us mirrors what we're doing. That, that the, uh, the outward expression of the life energy draws in, right? All the leaves fall off the trees. All of the plants, they draw their energy in to their core and to the roots. And so the, the movement in the meditation practice on a retreat is the same. We draw everything in. We come inward and, and, and to, to quiet and to stillness. Uh, we're held by, by this, this lineage of practice. So whatever your relationship with the Buddhist tradition, whatever that means to you, uh, there are over two millennia of history of people doing this practice, of coming together and participating in retreats like this on their own, in small groups, of setting aside the demands and pressures of worldly life to cultivate the heart. And so we, uh, we're walking in that tradition, in that lineage. And so we can feel a sense of connection with that. That's what this, this statue here behind me on the altar of the Buddha represents uh, not only, it represents his example. He was a human being. He wasn't a god or a deity. It's one of the most important teachings of his life is that he was a person just like you and I. He got old, he got sick, he had back pain, his cousin tried to kill him, his wife was not happy when he left the palace. I mean, he had 
problems in his life. He, there were wars in uh, the clans in the land that he lived, and he couldn't stop them. You know, he dealt with difficult things in his life just as we have difficult things in our life. And he was able to discover something so profound that the effects are still reverberating around the world today. We all wouldn't be sitting in this room together if this person hadn't lived 2,600 years ago. And that's amazing when you reflect on it. And in the wake of his enlightenment, millions of people have endeavored to follow his example, to practice his teachings, and to do this meditation practice. And so we can feel a connection with that lineage that we're supported by those who have come before us, that whatever you're experiencing in the next five days that's challenging for you, someone else has been there, and they've come through it. We're supported by the teachings and the practice itself. So the, the Dharma, the the path of practice and the teachings, sometimes referred to as the natural laws of, uh, of, this, of this universe, that we're not separate from nature. We tend to think that we're separate from the way things work, that we are separate from these trees or the animals or the wind or the water around us. But the very same laws and forces that govern the natural world are here. We are not separate. And so the more we understand those natural laws and live in harmony with them, the happier we'll be. So we can be supported by, uh, by our own nature, by our own deep nature. And we can also be supported by one another. So your presence matters on this retreat. What you do matters on this retreat. We tend to think of ourselves as individuals. and Well, I'm just going to do this. It doesn't affect anyone else, but it does. But we support each other in being here. The more we show up and participate and do the practice, the more it supports others to do the practice. Another, another aspect of... Uh, How's everyone doing? We've been sitting for a while. Is all right? Yeah? Okay. So these, these three things, the traditionally referred to as the three refuges, the Buddha, the example and vision of what's possible, the Dharma, the teachings, and the path. There's a path that we can follow. And the Sangha, the community and the lineage, all of us coming together and the history of practitioners, these are supports for us. And uh, at the end of my talk, we'll, we'll formally um, take refuge as a way of expressing our gratitude and commitment to receiving the support of these things. We're also held by, uh, by the precepts, the five precepts, which are uh, agreements that we make as a community for how we're going to be together. And uh, these are uh, um, trainings that we're encouraged to follow in our day-to-day -day life. And here on retreat, we take them very seriously to see this is very clearly how we're going to live together. Um, so this includes uh, not taking the life of other living creatures. 
So if you see a bug or a fly or a spider, to, to not just kill it reflexively, to catch it and, and take it outside, that we're cultivating a relationship of care and reverence towards life. Um, not taking that which is not given, so that we feel we can leave our things around and we know they're going to be safe. Uh, that we don't go into the kitchen and take food that hasn't been put out and, and offered or served. So this is the second precept. The third precept is around our sexual energy. And in day-to-day -day life, this is about not causing harm with our sexual energy. And here on a retreat like this, we, we take a vow of celibacy that for these next uh, five days, uh, four days, we will not engage in sexual energy at all, in any kind of sexual activity. And uh, this is not because there's something wrong or bad about sexual energy. Again, it's this sense of gathering and preserving our energy. Uh, and instead of acting on sexual energy, to be able to study it, to learn from it, to see what it is, and to develop a more wise relationship with it. And so as the meditation practice deepens, you can develop a certain kind of sensitivity. You know, so sexual energy can come out of our eyes, right? It can come in the way we move our body. So we're really reining that energy in. You know, the difference between uh, looking at someone or checking them out. Right? Or, you know, maybe what it feels like to have someone look at you or size you up, right? So we're turning the volume down on that in support of the sense of solitude and safety, okay? Um, it's important to say that these precepts are trainings. They're not commandments. It's not, you know, if you make a mistake that it's the end of the world, you know, if you find someone attractive and you notice yourself stealing a glance, it's like, okay, you know, fine. Just learn from it. We don't need to beat ourselves up or get tight around these. But it's like we're all orienting in the same direction. So we all have a shared intention to commit to these trainings of not killing, not stealing, maintaining celibacy, maintaining silence. So maintaining noble silence. In day-to-day -day life, this is about right speech, not causing harm with our speech. On a retreat like this, it's about um, maintaining silence. And silence doesn't mean doesn't only mean not speaking. Silence, this practice of noble silence, it, it can feel intimidating at first. I mentioned my first retreat experience. Um, but it's meant to be a refuge. It's really meant to be a support. It's silence of the body, silence of speech, and silence of mind. So the outward silence supports an inner silence. The less we engage with the stimulation and the conversation, the more the mind can start to settle and get quiet. The more the mind is settled and quiet, the more clearly and deeply it can see. The more clearly and deeply we see, the more understanding and insight we have. The more understanding and insight we have, the less we suffer, because we understand how things work. So included in noble silence is reading. 
So there's a library here. You may have brought a book or a magazine. The request is to not read. It includes writing. Obviously not writing notes to us, but you might have a journaling practice where you write every day. I'm going to ask that you set that down for the period of this retreat. If there's something you want to remember that's a line or two, that's fine, you know. But I'm talking about writing pages and pages, you know. Because what are we doing? We're stimulating the thinking process. And what we're trying to do is actually develop a different relationship with thinking. We don't have to stop thinking, but we're trying to be able to observe thinking rather than always following thinking, being lost in thinking. And in order to be able to do that, it's helpful to just pull back from it. So reading, writing, it includes checking your phone, email, texting, news, Facebook, social media, all of that. That's a form of communication. So checking your phone is breaking silence. So this can be hard for some of us, particularly if you're very plugged in. And I gotta say, um, it's so important to unplug. So if you don't need your phone, turn it off and leave it in your car. If you think you're, you'll be tempted, if you know yourself well and you know that there's that part of your mind that says, oh, I, might just check. I might just check once, oh, it's not a big deal. You can give your phone to me. I will, I will, I will uh, hold it safely. I won't sell it on eBay <laughs> until Sunday and then I'll give it back to you on, on Sunday. I really can't emphasize this enough. They're so addictive. So, yeah, question. Question. Um, I don't have an alarm. Yeah. So can I use my phone? It's fine. Yeah. If, okay. yeah. It's fine to use. So you know yourself. Yeah. So some people, if, if, you're, if their phone is in their room, they're going to they're turn it on and check. So if that's not an issue for you to have your phone in your room and just keep it in airplane mode and use it as an alarm, great, fine. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, but if you know yourself and you, if you think you're going to be tempted, we'll get you an alarm clock. <laughs> Seriously, I want I want this. This retreat's hard enough as it is. You know, to just be with yourself and be meditating all day. Um, so don't want you to, f to feel the temptation. Just just take it off the table, right? Um, so for anyone who wants to turn their phone in uh, after um, after lunch, when we meet back here at 1.45, you can bring your phone to me. Um, on, on some retreat centers, we do a whole ceremony. We have a basket, and people come, <laughs> and we make a whole ritual out of it. Because it really is. It's really like it's like a letting go of that, that tie to the world, right? Um, hopefully, you've told your family or your friends that you'll be out of touch for the next four days. If you haven't, um, uh, when, we, when we have lunch, um, go out to your car, text people, put a voicemail on your phone or an auto-reply on your email so that you can really let it go. I know there are one or two people who have sick children or a family member, and uh, we've given you, you know, the emergency phone number so they know how to get in touch with you. Last thing I want to say about the silence is um, it's not passive. So silence isn't a passive thing. It's something that, that we create together. 
So this is why I'm going to be encouraging you to, uh, to not be making eye contact with one another. Right? The silence includes the nonverbal communication. Right? To really keep the energy focused with oneself. Um, what we do in the public spaces has an effect on others. You know? So I mentioned you know, maybe jotting something down at the end of the day if there's something important you want to remember. Do that in the privacy of your room rather than in a public space. It's fine during the Dharma talk in the evening if you want to take notes, that's fine, that's welcome. For those of you who are newer to retreat, I hope I'm not scaring you. <laughs> um, oftentimes people find that the silence, which can seem so intimidating or weird at first, is one of the most precious and wonderful things by the end that you won't want to give up. It really, really is a gift to not have to engage, to not have to put on a face or pretend anything, to just put all of that down. So these, these guidelines, these precepts are about cultivating a certain quality of intention. They're about committing to a sense of mutual care and respect. So the last of them is about intoxicants. So to not consume uh, recreational drugs or intoxicants that cloud the mind. And this practice is about getting clearer and clearer inside. And uh, so you know, drugs and alcohol go in the other direction. So this doesn't include prescription medication. If you take prescription medication, please keep taking it. Now is not the time to try to go off your prescription medication. Um, but uh, if, you, if you brought any kind of mind-altering substances on the retreat, um, please do not use them. Please leave them in the car. If you have an issue with that um, and you brought something, uh, please feel free to let me know and you can give it to me and I can hold it for you for the retreat. There's no shame here. There's no, you know, these things are a part of our life. We live in very challenging and intense times, and uh, 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 intoxicants serve a certain very important function to uh, unwind and shift our consciousness. They're not always the healthiest way to do that, um, but the need that they fulfill is real. And so if that's an issue for you, uh, please let me know. I want to support you in that so that you can be here in a way that works for you. Any questions about any of the precepts? Yeah, Mary. But coffee is not excluded. Coffee is not excluded. <laughs> yes, coffee is not excluded. And, yeah, and coffee and tea are fine. Uh, there'll be coffee out in the morning. I think the idea is that they're going to make one batch of coffee at the beginning of the day, and then they're cutting us off. Yeah. But there will be black tea. So if you're the kind of person who drinks coffee until 9 o'clock at night, um, you might be drinking a lot of tea. <laughs> mm -hmm. When I come down, because I'm the 5.50 yes. I can grab a quick, because I only have it in the morning, but I have yeah. to have it. Okay, okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, the tea and the coffee that are out, you can have any time of day. And, and the, I think they'll leave out fruit and some snacks. If, you, if you're hypoglycemic or you need a snack in between things, just please help yourself. Clarification, because if you're the bell ringer at 5.50, the coffee won't really be ready until 6.30. Right. Yeah, she'll be turning it on at that hour, so. Okay. 
Questions about the precepts or anything logistical? So why don't we? Why don't we? Um, well, lunch will be served in another fifteen minutes. I wanna. I wanna formally take the refuges and precepts together. Uh, that will mark the beginning of our retreat and the entering of silence. Uh, but why don't we uh, just take a little stretch break first? So stand up, stretch your legs. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.